So did you get in your car today and turn the key and your car goes, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> Mike kind of made a noise that I never heard it make before and said, all right, I guess I would try it. Uh, hey, I'm glad you're here with us in-house and if you're joining us online, welcome. I, and hope we're both, both of us are, all of our groups are, we're in warm climates and warm places and that's great. Uh, I want to talk today and I want to begin with three principles that I think are absolutely misunderstood in our culture and in the church, but are really, really super important for us to understand. And if we don't understand these principles, then a lot of, uh, we're going to run into a lot of misunderstandings along the way. So let me give you those principles that I think are really, they're absolutely true. They're taught in the Bible. They're taught in the New Testament, but they're misunderstood by many people. And here they are. Number one, the church is not called to impose our values on our world, on our country, on our community. We're not called to impose our Christian values on our culture. We are called to influence our culture by being salt and light. There's a difference between being an influence, an influencer, and it's a, a difference between being an imposer. And, and, and here's what I mean. There's a lot of rhetoric that has so divided Christians today. And we, we hear things like, anybody who holds a different view from me politically, um, they're the enemy. They're, they're the bad guys. And we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And we use this rhetoric. It's they and us, right? And I want to tell you, that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament doesn't say that somebody who holds a different political view than you is your enemy. And even if they, if they are a Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't say that. Even, you know, it says that there are people who are Christians and who are not Christians, but it doesn't say that they're the enemy. And why do we call them the enemy? Because they're not our enemy. In fact, even if they are our enemy, what are we supposed to do? Forgive them? Pray for them? <laughs> That's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm, I'm not seeing the Christian value of turning the other cheek, of forgiving, of praying for. That's not what I'm seeing. And so I want to be really crystal clear on this. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you absolutely have ethics that you have to live up to. Because like we said last week, you belong to a different family. You have a different father. You're his son. You're his daughter. And so because you've been adopted into this new family, you have been called to a higher calling. No, no doubt about that. There's no question about that. That's not even debatable. And we're not imposing our kingdom ethic on this world. That's not our job. Our job isn't to bring our kingdom ethic to this world. Our job is to be salt and light and to forgive our enemies and to pray for them and to turn the other cheek and to love them and to not call them enemies. Uh, that's what we're called to do. So, so, so that's really misunderstood so much in our, in our culture today. Here's the second one. You don't live a good life to become a Christian. You live a good life because you are a Christian. There's a real subtle but really incredibly important difference to that, right? 
So many people are trying to live a good enough life so that one day they'll be acceptable to God. And God will look at their resume one like, you know, God meets you at the gate and he, 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 he's looking down your resume. You're, oh, you did this and you believed in me. You went to church and, you know, oh, that's good. You served in the soup kitchen. You did all these good things. Get in here. You deserve to be here. Come on. And how many people, if you were to ask them, if you were to die today and go to be with God, uh, would you go to be with God in heaven? They would say, I hope so. And if you were to say, well, why? If God were to stand at the gate and say, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? You say, well, I go to church. I believe in you. I, I'm not, a, not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. What are they saying? I'm a good person. And good people go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the New Testament teaches. New Testament teach, doesn't teach that you do good works to go to heaven. It says that because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new father. You belong to a new family. And you want to serve God. And it shows because you do good works. There's a very big difference between that. So misunderstood in our culture. So misunderstood. Let me give you one more. Um. As a Christian, you are not the final arbitrator of truth in your life. In other words, what I'm saying to you is you don't get to decide what is right and wrong for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. The, you have the New Testament. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the life of Jesus. That is your marching order. You don't get to choose what is right and wrong for you. You don't get, the world does, the world can decide this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. And it can deal, it can be different from, any person can have their own ethic. But if you're a son and daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords, you have a new kingdom ethic. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Because he's going to talk to the church, he's going to talk to Christians, he's going to talk to believers, and he's going to say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a different ethic. You don't get to pick and choose. This is who you are. This is how you have to live. This is what you've been called to. Live up to your family calling. And I grew up as a Christian, an early Christian, a number of years ago. I remember listening to sermon, you know, going to church and listening to a sermon. And I'm going, I don't think I like that. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. And then I would go back and I would look in the Bible and I'd go, Oh, man, it's there. Like, you know, it's like, so then I have this wrestling match. Like, I knew that I couldn't argue with it because it's God's telling me through his word and through his spirit, this was what was true. And, and I had to basically say, there were some things I learned from since I was a wee little boy that weren't right. And I had to say, okay, I don't get to choose anymore. God chooses for me because I belong to him. Now, those three principles go absolutely counter to the culture of our society. Absolutely counter. And so last week we talked about, we said, and, and Paul's been, basically been saying in the book of Ephesians, put off the old way of life. Put on the new. You're, you've been adopted into this new family. You belong to this whole new family. Now, he says, live up to this ethic. You, the family has a different ethic. It's not for the world. It's not for the pagans. It's not for unbelievers. But it is for you if you're a, a child of God. It is for you if you belong to the family. It is for you that if you've been adopted, it is for you. And so that's where we're going this week. Uh, this week, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, if you want to turn to verse 3. And Paul's basically going to say, 
He's going to pick three doozies out too. He's going to say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a new ethic for three areas of your life. And you're going to go, oh man, I don't know if I like that. But if you belong to the king, you have to wrestle with it. Ephesians 5, verse 3, what does it say? This is God's word. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Again, notice, and I, want to, I don't want to belabor this, but I want you to understand, this is not a moral dictate that we pronounce to our community or to our world. It is to us, the church, to Christians, to his children that he, this is coming to. This is to us. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talking, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why uh, it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, it's interesting what Paul says here. He says, you once were darkness, but now you are light. Now, it's interesting because he doesn't say you were in darkness he doesn't say you were in darkness and now you're in light. He says you were darkness. You see, what he's saying here is really important. He's not saying you were a good person in a dark place. He's saying you weren't a good person in a dark place. The Bible says we were dead in sins. The Bible says we were spiritually dark. The Bible says that we couldn't. We were prisoners of the king of this world, that we were in darkness, that we weren't in the light, and that Jesus rescued us from the darkness and brought us into the light, that we were dead and now we're alive. And so it's very different. He's saying, don't live as you used to be, a dead person, spiritually dark. You are now a person of light. Live as a person of light. It's really important we understand that. Well, how are we to live? A PG life in an R-rated world, right? Um, it's moving towards X, even as we speak sometimes. Uh, three things he hits on. And the, these, will, uh, these will, again, we're talking to Christians. We're talking to believers. We're talking to his children here. And if you're, you're in-house or watching, this is not for pagans. This is not for unbelievers. This is not for people who reject Jesus and his word and, his, and all of that. This is for those of you that have bowed the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords, that call Jesus your Savior and call God your Father. This is what God says to his children. He says this first, you must live sexually pure. You must live sexually pure. Uh, the word, the Greek word is pornea. That's where we get our, you know, our English word porn, you know. 
uh, or pornography, pornea. And it really, uh, we, most English translate, translations translate the word fornication. Now, fornication is simply this. It's pretty straightforward. Fornication is any sex that takes place outside of a committed marriage relationship. Any sex that takes place outside of a committed marriage relationship. So that, you know, that would cover the New Testament and other places basically covers it. So that means premarital sex. That means homosexuality. That means adultery. That means any sex outside of committed marriage relationship is a violation of pornea. Now, again, he's writing to the church, and it's interesting to me. He basically is saying sexual sin is a problem within churches. And you read the book of Corinth, and you see, well, it's a problem. <laughs> and Paul had to deal with it. And it's still a problem in the church today. Um, look, at what, uh, look at what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. This is uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Here, Paul is clearly dressing Christians. And he's saying, if you're a Christian, your sexual life should be different than the rest of the world. It has to be. And then he says, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, if up, up to this point, if you don't like what I've said, you don't have an issue with me. And that's essentially what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, if you don't like what I'm writing, you don't have an issue with me. You have an issue with God because this is God's kingdom standard. This is what God says. We don't get to choose our own ethic. God tells us what, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. And what he's saying is within the church, there should be no sexual immorality among the Christians, among the followers. And he's saying you, you can't live like the pagans. We're called to live like believers. You know, there's no expectation for pagans or unbelievers to live a certain way. God doesn't have expectations. He doesn't say, you know, you know. But he does for his children. Have you ever had that situation where you're in a family and you have peers, you have, you have siblings, and, and, you know, kids are, be, you know, acting differently, and your parents have that meeting with you, and they say, I don't care what such and such does, they're not part of this family. Right? You may have had it with your kids. What are you saying there? We have a different ethic than the rest of those families. That's not who we are. That's not how we operate. That's not what we believe. And essentially, that's what's going on. Now, listen, let's be clear. God is calling you as a follower of Jesus Christ to live to a higher ethic than the rest of the world, the rest of this, world, this country. Um, 
And God is not opposed to sex. In fact, he created it. In Genesis chapter two, 1, he says this, God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. If you want a little racier uh, idea of, of how God treats sex, read the book of Song of Solomon. But for the believer, sexual purity is the standard. It's not the exception. Uh, by the way, let me just say this. There is a current in our pop culture, there's a current that's anti-God, that's kind of do what I want to do, and, and, and I'm the, the master of my own you know, life, and all this other stuff. And uh, these things that we're talking about go absolutely against the current, and they're probably the strongest currents in our society. First one is sex. Here's the second one. You must let go of greed. Um, he, he basically talks about this whole idea of greed. Now, the best way to think of greed is just think of materialism gone crazy, right? And uh, two things that separated Christians, uh, Christians stood out in the Greco-Roman world in the first century, second century. They stood out. You know why they stood out? For two reasons. Number one, they, um, they didn't have sex outside of their marriage. That was what they were known for. Are we known for that today in our culture? Yeah, I don't think so. The second one is they were known to be generous. They were known to be generous. Are we known to be generous? Christians, you know, first thing that comes to the pagan world mind or people who are unbelievers, when they hear the word Christian, do they think, yeah, sexually pure and, and generous? No, that's not generally what, we, what we're known for, unfortunately. I would say this, maybe you disagree. I think that we live in the, probably the most materialistic culture the United States culture that our world has ever known. I don't think there's ever been a culture that is more materialistic than this culture that we are in the middle of right now. As, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is absolutely uh, true. Now, Paul says something interesting. He says, materialism or greed can, live, can lead to idolatry. No, I don't think anybody walked in here and said, you know, my biggest, you know, I've, never had, I've never had anybody walk into my office and say, Pastor, I'm an idol worshiper, or I'm an idolater, or Pastor, I'm, I'm greedy. <laughs> my biggest sin is I'm greedy. Nobody says that, you know, I mean, uh, but here, how does a person who is materialistic, or how, how does a person move from materialism into idolatry? Well, it's simple. Uh, if you desire more money and more possessions, and you have to have more and more and more, what you do is you begin to put your trust, you begin to put your, 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 you know, three things that we all need in our lives. We need security, we need significance, and we need satisfaction. And so what is, what is money and what does possessions give us? It gives us security. You feel more secure if you have more money in the bank than if you don't. It gives you significance because you feel like, look at me, look at, I can do this and you can't. And so I must be smarter or better or whatever. And uh, satisfaction, you say, I'm more satisfied because I have more and I can do whatever I want. And so what you do is you begin to trust in those things rather than God. And that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is putting anything, and it could be a good thing, and you make it a God thing. You make it a big thing. You make it the ultimate thing. 
And here's what will happen. The first, if you, you could do this in a lot of things too, by the way. It could be money. It could be health. It could be your family. And if you put it in your health, you say, I'm going to be, you know, my idolatry or my, my, my life is all about my health. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden you go into the doctor's office and the doctor says, well, you got cancer. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to, it's going to ultimately rock your world. Or if you're an athlete or something and you, you, you do a sport and you get hurt, you, you get the, your, your knees taken out from under you and the doctor says you're probably not going to be able to do sports anymore your whole life. When you were little to right now, you're, you're an athlete. You say, my whole life revolved around that. What is that? That's an idol because you've made it more important than God in your life. Your whole life revolves around it. All right. Here's the third thing. Oh, let me just say this. Uh, we live in a culture that's, that proclaims this. And, and if I'm wrong, I, I don't think I am, but I think this really typifies two of the most powerful currents of our culture. What I do with my body and what I do with my money is my business. That is absolutely any American, that's the American way. That's the American culture. That's our pop culture. Whatever what, I could do whatever I want with my body and my money. It's my body, it's my money, and it's my choice. I get to do whatever I want. That's what you, people believe that. People have learned that from, uh, from a young age, and they believe it today. But you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that cannot, cannot be your, your cry. That cannot be your your way of life. Essentially, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, if you're a son and daughter of the king, if you belong to the Father in heaven, if you've been adopted in this new family, that can't be your cry. It can't. Like I said, this is going, Paul's like going right for the juggler of our culture. He's saying, there's two things in your culture that are really strong, sex and money. And the kingdom ethic goes in the face of those. Here's the third one. It's surprising. I didn't expect it, but here it is. We need to watch our words. Using foul language, swearing, telling inappropriate or dirty jokes is not okay for the believer. How you speak, how you use your mouth. uh, Look at what uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for the building others, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, let me just think. Let me ask you a question. In the last six months, how would you rate your mouth? Scale one to ten, meaning ten. I was like building people up and encouraging people, and I don't remember. And I can ask somebody and um, somebody close to me, and they would probably back me up. I'm like. Oh, I've done really well this year. Or you're at number one saying, I'm like a sailor who just hit my head with a hand with a hammer and I'm ornery and I'm mean. And that's characterized my last six months. What do we mean by unwholesome talk? Well, gossip. Gossip. You know, Christians are so, they're so... mm -hmm. Sneaky? I don't know what it is. It's like, I just want to tell you what I heard so that we can pray for them. 
okay, all right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Have you had anybody do that? Or have you done that? Hey, we need to pray for, hmm, because, hmm. And you never pray. Not really your point. You know, here's a question. If the person were in the room with you and you were talking about them to your face, what would you say? What would you leave out? Or would you even say it? You know, it's a, the, you heard the old story about the three pastors and they decided, hey, let's, you know, we, we, we need to kind of connect with each other and just let our hair down and just kind of be transparent to each other. And so they decided to go fishing. And one of the pastors said, okay, you know, let, you know we're fishing and all that, but let's, be, let's try to be a little transparent because it's hard to be transparent with your congregants. You know, if you tell them stuff, you know. And so the first, he said, let's just, re, you know, let's just talk about sins that we struggle with and so we can pray for each other. It sounded like a good idea. So the first, uh, the first uh, pastor says, well, you know, I struggle with gambling. I sneak out at night and hit the casino. And man, I just love gambling. Uh, it's no, my wife doesn't even know about it. Nobody knows about it. And I just, I, Oh, okay. Next guy goes, he says, well, he says, he says, I'm a cheater. I cheat on, I cheat on my taxes. I've cheated on my taxes for years. I haven't paid, I haven't paid any taxes in 10 years. So they, <laughs> the two guys look, the last pastor, and they go, okay, come on, buddy. <laughs> we bared our souls before you. Now it's your turn. And he goes, you know, he finally says, all right. He says, I, he says, I got to tell you, he says, what's going through my head right now? He says, he says my, my sin is, is I gossip and I just can't wait to get off this boat. <laughs> Profanity. Uh, James gives this kingdom ethic to us. James chapter 3, verse 9. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now notice what he's saying. James is making a very important thing. He's not talking about our speech just with other Christians. He's saying, we worship the Lord in the singing and we leave this place, we, we, we stop watching this video, and we curse people who have been made in the image of God. And James is basically saying, anyone see a contradiction here? How about dirty jokes? In my opinion, this is just my opinion, People who focus, tell dirty jokes or potty humor aren't very clever or funny. They're just plain lazy. Because so many people can tell clean jokes and funny jokes that have nothing to do with that. Well, well how, do, how are we to respond to this? Let me give you two action steps. First one is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't condemn with your words. Convict with your life. Don't condemn them with your words. Don't, 
Yeah, we as Christians like putting binoculars on and we like using the lens of God's word to judge the world and the people around us. Look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. And what we should do is we should take the word of God and allow it to be a mirror. Have you used the word of God to, right now, today, this morning, as you're watching, are you using the word of God to mirror your soul, to see what's going on in your life and your behavior? Or is it just a set of binoculars? Where, and by the way, pastors are notorious for this because pastors like to get up there on their bully pulpit and condemn society and condemn evil people. And, you know, listen, let's be clear. We get that. I mean, you don't have to condemn it. It's pretty clear. But when was the last time you took the Bible and used it as a mirror to show things in your life that need to change and need to be fixed? You know, one of the things that I noticed early on and when I'm in different groups is that when I came to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the first thing that happened was the things I used to laugh at and I thought were funny weren't funny anymore. The things I used to say, the jokes I used to tell, the language I used to use changed. You know what happened? The people that I ran around with, the people I hung around with, uh, they noticed it and they kind of go, so what's with you? So why don't you like swear anymore? Why don't you, you know, laugh anymore? Why don't you do that anymore? And it's like, I, I just don't. And you, you share, you know, you share, well, I, be, you know, I, I trusted Christ and I'm trying to, you know, grow and and all of a sudden, you may not even have gotten to that point, but they, they kind of heard, and they say things like, oh, you're a little Mr. Religious guy now, and you're no fun, and we can't tell the jokes around you, and, you're all, and you never said a word to condemn them. You never said, hey, don't tell those jokes around me. You never said that. You never, but they're convicted because you're being salt, and you're being light, and they, the world doesn't like light. Darkness doesn't like the light. That's the point that Paul makes in our passage, that when you start shining the light around, because you're living the light, when you bring a light into a dark building, the rats begin to run, right? And I don't mean rats like people. I just mean that, that things change. One more thing. Don't, don't condemn with your words, convict with your life. Secondly, don't join the darkness, be the light. Jesus ate and drank with sinners, yet he remained sinless. And too many Christians are going, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'll, I'll sit in a bar and have a drink with, a, uh, with unbelievers. Okay, whatever, you know, cool, cool for you, you know. But here's the thing. What I see is many times Christians that have this, I'm going to walk that line that Jesus walked, kind of don't do a very good job. We'll talk more about that next week where it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but my point is this. It's one thing for Jesus to, to you know, walk a line. It's another thing for us. It doesn't tell us to separate ourselves from the world. It says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And here's what I think is going on in the church. Christians are a lot like the world and not much like our Savior. I don't think the world sees a, 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 
any difference between the Christians or the church and them. Yet we're not called to impose our values. Frankly, who are we to do that? Have we earned and deserved the right to tell the rest of the world how they should live? Are we kidding ourselves? Are we really? Are we, do we, are we really that arrogant? That do we think that we're living lives that are worthy and uh, that are virtuous enough that, that we should tell the rest of the world how they ought to live? Or should we start following what Scripture says? Not to the whole world, but to us, to followers, to his children. And start living up to our calling, that we're his children. And his family lives to a different ethic, a different kingdom ethic. That we go against the culture. We don't condemn the culture because that's not our job. Our job is not to condemn the culture. Our job is to be salt and light, to be influencers. How are you doing? What we're talking about here isn't for everyone. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is for you and it is for me. Let's model that this week. Let's do a better job of being salt and light. Let's do a better job of living in the world, not being of the world. Let's be a better job in these areas of how we deal with sex. And, and by the way, I didn't say this, but let me just throw this on top of that. Jesus went even further because you may be sitting there going, well, sex, I'm okay with. Jesus said, oh, you do think that, huh? And, and he says, if you have in your mind, you've committed that sex act in your mind, you've sinned. So Jesus says, you don't even have to do the physical act. You can do it in your head and you've sinned. Oh, man. That's his ethic. To live a pure life with your mind and your body, your heart. To be generous. Not to be driven by the world and the materialism of our world, but to be separate and say, God, I trust you. If I have enough and I have more, let me think of how I can use it for others. I'm going to watch my mouth make a difference for his kingdom. Stand with me. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together and help us to live lives worthy of our calling as your children, sons and daughters, bought with an incredible price. And we've been called to a kingdom ethic. The world hasn't been called to it, but we have. We're called to be in the world and not of the world. We're called to live pure lives. We're, we're called not to be driven by materialism, but to be generous. We're called to watch our mouths. We're called to be salt and light. And Father, we can't do this without your help, without your Holy Spirit. But I pray, Father, you help us to be the church you've called us to be. Because the world is, is, is struggling right now. And they need to see what a true follower of Jesus Christ is, how they live, how they talk, and how they conduct themselves. So Father, help us be the example of that in this community. We pray in Jesus' name.